Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Today on the Think Humanities podcast, Constance Alexander, a Kentucky writer and columnist, a poet and a playwright, which we'll talk about uh, as we uh, have this uh, conversation with uh, Constance from Murray, Kentucky uh, today. Uh, uh, Constance, as um, a lot of people who listen to our Think Humanities podcast know, I really enjoy talking to writers and authors and publishers and wannabe writers. Uh, and uh, so this is going to, to be perfect for, uh, maybe you can um, throw in, uh, throw out some, some tips and hints uh, to some young people who out there, uh, budding uh, writers um, that uh, you um, certainly uh, are called on to do that uh, a lot these days. But I'm also for our audience uh, going to read uh, just a, sentence or two from the description that we have in our Kentucky Humanities uh, website, because you are also a member of our Speakers Bureau, and members of our Speakers Bureau are eligible to uh, uh, travel as much as they're able to, uh, to make appearances uh, for church groups and rotary clubs and schools, and uh, we have such a terrific array of speakers in our Speakers Bureau, um, and you can find just about any subject from beekeeping to um, writing to poetry to whatever it happens to be uh, a subject matter that is um, something that Kentuckians want to know more about, and, and Constance is one of those. Um, this, uh, one of your, your talks, uh, Constance, which uh, you've written a column since 1989, um, and uh, so some of the material that you talk about in your presentation, uh, I'll just read. Uh, her writing addresses a range of topics from the lighthearted to life-changing, each one part of a unique autobiography that begins in New Jersey and continues in Kentucky. With excerpts from her memoir, Who Needs June Kleber, and snippets from her current columns, her presentation documents the many ways family dynamics and small towns have changed in some ways and stayed the same in others. So Constance Alexander, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So that gives uh, folks uh, an idea, hopefully, uh, of your background and of the writing that you've done for, for many years uh, in Kentucky and uh, before you came to Kentucky in, in New Jersey, and you just told me uh, doing some work in New York, too. So uh, if you will, uh, flush that out a bit and, um, and tell me about your writing life and, uh, and, and how much you have uh, enjoyed doing that in Kentucky. Well, I guess my writing life started, my biography often says that I won a poetry contest in fourth grade and have been writing ever since. And that's true. Uh, I was writing, I think, before that, but I've always been interested in words and reading. And I'm the youngest of five children. And 
my mother, uh, I think, was bored and took me to a lot of plays and movies. We lived close to New York, so we could go in and see a show on a Wednesday. And this is before I started school. And the first show I remember seeing was called Wonderful Town, which is a story of two sisters from Ohio coming to New York. One wanted to be a writer. The other one, I think, wanted to be an actress. And uh, Rosalind Russell played the one who wanted to be a writer. And I, I didn't know who Rosalind Russell was then, but, but what I picked up from that play and what stuck with me was that you could do things on stage that you would get in trouble doing in real life. And that was because there was a man in the play who ran around in his shorts for a while. <laughs> and I knew that was not something that was acceptable, but it was okay. And I do playwriting uh, and enjoy it because of that opportunity. And I think the great thing about writing is that it presents opportunities to examine how we feel and to come to decisions about what we think and to look at issues and, and ideas uh, under a little bit of a microscope that is siphoned through words. Besides the um, poem that you wrote uh, in the fourth grade, uh, what did you begin writing first? Was it, uh, were you writing um, a, a play? Were you writing a column? Uh, were you writing, uh, did you start your memoir? Tell me a little bit about uh, uh, what you wrote first. I think that uh, writing a column has been a pretty standard thing in my life. I wrote a column for the high school newspaper, and but I was not on the staff. I just wanted to, I'm pretty opinionated and writing a column seemed to suit me the best. So I liked writing a column and I wrote a column in, um, in high school. And then in college, I did that kind of thing for my sorority. Um, and then I was president of the historical society, the New Jersey, not historical, the New Jersey Poetry Society. And in that capacity, I was writing something like a column. What's the difference in a column and an essay? I don't see a lot of difference, but don't tell anyone in the English department that I said that. <laughs> there, there probably, um, and, and someone uh, uh, with a PhD uh, in literature or, or uh, the classics or whatever it happened to be might, might find fault with our examination of that. But I'm, I'm thinking that there's not a lot of difference either. I mean, I'm sure a column, um, you can be um, uh, somewhat opinionated if you choose to be. Uh, you have a license to do that. I think in an essay, you're 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 close to the edge on uh, uh, expressing your your opinion or uh, describing something uh, a little bit uh, less than factual, possibly. I, I don't know. Would you agree? Yeah. And the essay is such a great form because of its huge range that you can address within an essay. Uh, one thing about writing a column that is different is that you're on deadline and you have a word limit. And those are skills that I've learned as a columnist that have been very handy. It's frustrating when you're trying to deal with an issue that is complex and to fit within the word count, but it's a good exercise to have to sift through what you think you think and how you want to express it. 
So uh, the longer essay is something that I have done some, I, I do freelance writing and have done the longer piece that would fall into the essay uh, category. So there's a great similarity, but a column does give you that opportunity for deadline and word count. You just have to do it. One of the other uh, talks that you can give as a member of the Speakers Bureau, or I would uh, imagine that someone might uh, ask you to do this, is titled The Curious Incident of Poetry <laughs> at Rotary. And I want to <laughs> hear the Rotary part of that story, but you just mentioned, uh, and I didn't know that you were um, involved with the Poetry Society. Um, and so did uh, besides the fourth grade, um, you um, why why is it, why is it important that all writers um, have a kinship with with poetry, uh, not only to enjoy it, but to use it as a as a writing tool, as a writing exercise, if you will, for other writing that they might do in their life. For me, poetry distills complicated ideas into briefer form. And I like that. I've always liked that about poetry. So it inspires me. It's a good starting point for any writer just to fool around a little bit. I mean, it's fun to write poetry. I have done a lot of poetry workshops with kids and um, I'm always so impressed by how wise they are and how astute they are in the selection of topics and words. So poetry brings those things to you. Now, there are people who claim they hate poetry and some of that, the blame may fall on English teachers who were so in love with poetry that they kind of force fed it to students and made them believe that they weren't smart enough to read a poem on their own. And what I love about poetry, contemporary poetry, is that it invites the reader or the listener. And we're hearing so much poetry in so many different forms that it's um, a great invitation to people, to the world, and to themselves as well. And during that talk uh, that you give for the Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau, you um, have uh, isolated uh, some examples of poetry and of Kentucky poets? Yes, I. Uh, there are so many great writers in Kentucky and many of them are poets. And uh, I had been asked at the last minute to do a reading at, uh, at the Rotary Club. It was three years ago, the first meeting of the year, they had a cancellation and I said I would do it as long as I could talk about poetry. <laughs> And the person in charge of programming kind of took a deep breath and said, well, okay. And I went through my books and uh, selected lines from poems by various Kentucky poets. And I distributed these lines among the people. There were a lot of people at that meeting too. And so the idea was that we started and if you had a line that you thought sounded interesting, you could call it out and I'd read the whole poem. And it was really, it, some people came up afterwards and said, this is the base, best presentation we've ever had. <laughs> so they were introduced to writers whom they might not have encountered because people don't read poetry the way they read fiction and nonfiction. Um, and it was such fun. There were, you know, poems that made people laugh and poems that 
made people stop and think. Uh, everybody, I did, of course, I made a list of the poets and their books so that it was available to anyone who was interested. Uh, I love what Kentucky Humanities is doing with Kentucky writers. And I wanted to add to that by having poets be a part of what people learn about Kentucky writers. Yeah. Can you give us an example or two, just uh, uh, maybe a I'm not going to put you on the spot and, and ask you to name your favorite poet, your favorite Kentucky poet. I wouldn't do that. But uh, maybe among a number of favorite Kentucky poets is something that you'd like to to share with us. One that I love uh, and the line that I used with that group uh, was quite simple. There were three TVA men there is the line. And it's a line from a poem by Tony Crunk, who's yeah. a Hopkinsville native. Tony is a great poet, uh, won the Yale series of younger poets a number of years ago. And he wrote a book called New Covenant Bound that explored the impact of the dams and the creation of land between the lakes on the communities between the rivers. His father was a postman and uh, delivered mail. He was in Golden Pond, Kentucky every day, which was about the last community to leave between the rivers. And Tony's poem is just so fabulous. It's, and I don't have it in front of me, but it, it, um, it's called, There Are Two Ways to Ring a Church Bell. And it talks about how there's the regular way of ringing a church bell. And then there's a special way where there's a hesitation between the first and the second clap. And that when people heard that, they knew it was something serious. And that particular poem is about the announcement that this community, this fictional community based on Golden Pond was going to be um, swept away. So that's one. Mm -hmm. um, another one, a, a Kentucky poet who, she doesn't live in Kentucky anymore, neither does Tony Crunk, but they are Kentucky poets, Nicole Brown who is a native of Louisville. And she is an amazing poet. She lives in North Carolina now. And the, the line from her poem was for our grandmothers who stored the white wax of bacon grease in a coffee can. Yeah. And <laughs> yep. I can, I can agree there. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Nicole grew up, uh, her grandmother was pretty much of her guardian when she was growing up and her grandmother was a character. And she, Nicole wrote a biography in poetic form about her grandmother called Fanny Says, and her grandmother's name was Fanny. So that was a book that, or that was a poem that got people laughing. So the first one, the Tony Crunk poem shows the ability of poetry to make history come alive. And then Nicole's poem tells the power of personal history. Um, so many of us remember those bacon grease coffee cans uh, on top of the stove. Um, another one, and this poet still does live in Kentucky, Christopher Collins. Uh, the line is, the deaf girl never hears. Chris is a, a veteran of um, Afghanistan and Iraq, and he got his MFA at Murray State University. And his first book of poems, full-length book, was My American Night. And he was deployed while he was working on his MFA remotely. 
And that poem, The Deaf Girl Never Hears, it's just a few lines. It shows the impact that poetry can have with very few words and um, just a very stark thought. Yeah. Well, um, where is Tony Crook now? Tony is in Alabama, I think. Teaching, I think. Maybe, uh, is he? I I'm think not... he's, I'm not sure what um, exactly. Okay. The last time I talked to him, he was writing some children's books because he has a family now. And uh, he was also doing some teaching. Mm -hmm. He keeps uh, close ties in Kentucky. Katerina Stoikova mm -hmm. in Lexington is a friend of his. And uh, in fact, he's the one who introduced me to her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's still a Kentucky person. Um, yeah. And a delight. Yeah. He's great. Uh, Constance, um, tell me about, um, you, you've written, you've had two books published. Is that correct? I've had about five published, most of them poetry. I, and I have two recent books that were published, uh, published in the last two years. Oh, really? Well, I want to go back because I know... Uh, uh, your your memoir and then your uh, the other piece that you wrote um, uh, about June Cleaver uh, <clears throat> that's part of your your talk uh, uh -huh. who needs who needs June Cleaver um, right. so I want you to talk about both of those but now I'm intrigued because of the other books that you've written and maybe you could be thinking as you're talking about uh, something that you could read from uh, one of your latest but uh, tell us first about uh, who Needs June Cleaver? Who Needs June Cleaver is a compilation of newspaper columns that I have written since I moved to Kentucky. Something that I discovered by moving was that I started writing about my family and where I had grown up, and I had never had that inclination before. Mm. And as I looked over years worth of columns, I saw that a lot of them mentioned my mother. And those are the columns that people cut out and send to their sister and that kind of thing. So uh, it was fun to put together and um, an interesting exercise too, to put together a, a book like that, that is autobiographical, very oriented to family and growing up in the 1950s and 60s in a small town about the same size as Murray, but quite different because in metropolitan New York area on the train line to Manhattan. So um, similarities and differences, but it was fun to write. And I love the title, Who Needs June Cleaver? Because he <laughs> does. <laughs> What, what about now? Was the other publication named uh, Kilroy was here? Yeah, Kilroy was here is um, I've always been interested as a older, like in college and beyond. Uh, it was interesting to me to reflect on the idea that World War II had such a huge impact on my generation, the baby boomers, but that we didn't really know very much about it. And most of the kids I went to school with, their fathers had fought in World War II. And I got interested in that idea. And then my husband is old enough to have remembered a little bit of World War II and he had family letters and things. And 
all of that came together and I created Kilroy was here, which was really a performance piece. It's a poetry book as well, but it has been performed. And it tells the story of one Louisville family and the impact on that family of World War II. So there are characters um, and voices in that piece. And it's, it also incorporates things like a jump rope rhyme, a recipe, a recipe for um, meatless sausage patties. I did a lot of research and I talked to a lot of groups of veterans to uh, people who were old enough to have lived during World War II for them to share their recollections. So it has all of those things and it does have a through line. It does tell a story of one family. And what's the what's the significance, if I might a- ask, of uh, of the meatless uh, sausage and uh, h- how does bring bring that uh, into context, if you will? Well, I thought in looking through recipes from that era, it was interesting to me. And I had heard my mother and my older siblings talk about all of the things they couldn't get because they were rationed. And people where I live, people didn't have gardens necessarily. Well, there were victory gardens and stuff, but people weren't canning their own food necessarily. So there were a lot of shortages and meat was one of the shortages, I guess. So the meatless sausage patties uh, recipe, it it has like oatmeal and grease and it it sounds terrible. There also is in there, and I remember my siblings talking about this, about... um, butter that you couldn't get butter. So you had like that, I guess, and a yellow button that you would mix in and it would burst, I guess, and make this stuff look like butter. So there's an ad for that um, in in my little Kilroy Was Here book. (laughs) That's another new one. Um, I can... (laughs) I can uh, relate to the uh, grease on top of the stove and the coffee can, but not the uh, the fake butter. But of course, I wasn't. Uh, I right. certainly I was born during uh, that era, but I I wasn't at the table uh, right. spreading spreading butter on biscuits at the time. Uh, but I do remember, of course, yeah. a lot of people um, should remember. Um, they should remember that um, a lot of foodstuffs, chocolate, for example, um, cigarettes, as if we needed them. Uh, I mean, they were they were rationed, uh, and and the people had to get get by. There's there was a lot of sacrifice, and right. um, and and they they did make it. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit more about writing and uh, about your your poetry, and let you uh, take just a minute to to select something and uh, that you can read uh, for us, and then. Just talk to you about um, about Kentucky and about families and about uh, small towns. So we'll do that after we hear from our good friends uh, who underwrite our Think Humanities podcast from Spalding University's writing program. Spalding University's low residency MFA in creative writing offers outstanding instruction in a supportive literary community. Study across genres. Explore the interrelatedness of the arts. Travel to Paris next summer for short-term study abroad or stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies on campus. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, and writing for TV, screen, and stage. Learn more at spalding.edu 
forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Constance, you said that you arrived uh, in Kentucky in 1988, and I don't know if you'd uh, visited here before or from New Jersey. I'm always curious about uh, what uh, first impressions are of, uh, of, of Kentucky uh, to people who maybe uh, thought it was a, in a foreign land somewhere. <laughs> do, you, do you remember what you, uh, your impressions were? Well, now I hate to confess this. My first trip to Kentucky was when I was working for, I worked for AT&T for a number of years and I had to go visit Cincinnati Bell. And uh, this was before divestiture. So there were still the, the different phone companies. So I uh, travel planning sent the ticket over to my office and I, I get to the airport and I looked at the ticket and it said Kentucky on it. And I, I said, I went up to the ticket agent. I said, this can't be right. I'm not going to Kentucky. And she then gently explained to me that Covington was right across the river from where I needed to go, but I didn't know that. So um, that, that was one thing. Then, then another thing, when I did, when, when we had decided to get married and my husband had taken a job here in Murray, I started thinking about, well, who do I, who might I know or that kind of thing who could be in Kentucky. And I picked up a copy of the Courier Journal and I saw a familiar name, Laurel Shackelford who was an editorial writer for the Courier Journal. And Laurel and I went to high school together and she was always on the newspaper. Uh, and uh, I remember thinking, oh, Laurel, I thought she went to Kansas. So that's how, <laughs> you know, yeah. I hate to admit it, but it, it is that coastal thing where at that point in my life, the middle of the country was kind of like a blur to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the first trip I did take to Kentucky, my husband did not take the job until I had an opportunity to come here and, and visit. And I had a very positive experience. There are so many. It's beautiful. Uh, you drive through land between the lakes to get from the airport in Nashville to Murray. And just seeing all of that open land and the lakes are quite beautiful. I know they have a history and I've done a lot of work with that history, but um, it, it is a beautiful place and it is a small town, but having a university in a small town is fabulous. You really get the best of both worlds. So I had a good impression from the start. I, once I figured out where Kentucky really was. <laughs> uh, Custance, um, you do write uh, in your columns and have for uh, some time. And I'm sure this uh, is also in your other writing and your poetry and, and, and the books you've published. Um, and, and that is to, um, to talk about family and, and really the way life has changed um, Spend just a minute or two talking about uh, the Kentucky of 1988 and the Kentucky of uh, 2022 and where you see change uh, uh, for good or bad, uh, what your observations are. A, a good columnist, a good essay writer, a good writer, period, is a, is a, a good observer. Uh, 
And uh, so give me your observations about um, the Kentucky that you found, uh, that you read about, that is contained in so much great Kentucky writing and the Kentucky that you see today. It so happens that uh, I'm kind of dealing with that topic. I'm getting ready to write my column for next week. And uh, when I first came to Murray and coming through Land Between the Lakes and then Route 94, and then you drive right through the center of town through the, where the county courthouse is. And one of the first things that you see upon approaching downtown is a statue of a Confederate soldier, the Robert E. Lee statue. And I remember being surprised by that. Um, I just thought that was odd and hadn't thought a whole lot about it for a couple of years after that. And of course, we've had energy here in Murray uh, wanting to remove the statue to a place that's more suitable to move it from the county courthouse lawn. And that's something that has changed. Uh, people are more aware, I think, of diversity and race in ways that they weren't 34 years ago. And I think that that's good. When I moved to Murray, you couldn't drink here. And, and that was, I never saw so many people running around with plastic cups of alcohol that, you know, and nobody ever got arrested. <laughs> it, that was like, what? Um, and <laughs> when my first play was produced here in Murray, a friend of mine from New Jersey sent me flowers. And when the flowers showed up, there was a bottle of wine with it. And I said to the woman, how did you get a bottle of wine? And she just laughed and she said, oh, well, we have our ways. So, um, and he never told me how that all happened, that I was able to get a bottle of wine. Yeah hours when it was illegal. So yeah. that has changed. Um, there was a lot of turmoil. There was a terrible uh, church bus accident in Northern Kentucky, not long after I moved here. And alcohol had been involved in that on um, the fault of the driver who caused the accident uh, and the carnage that ensued from that. So people had very passionate attitudes about alcohol. And our transition into having alcohol, certainly it has helped the tax base of Murray. And we haven't had the terrible things happen that people thought would come with being able to sell alcohol. So some of the things yeah. that haven't changed, the schools both, we have uh, independent schools, Murray Independent Schools and Callaway County Schools. Both of those school systems are excellent. They have great speech teams. They have great sports teams. Murray, Murray Independent just won a band competition. Uh, so that's something that has stayed the same. And I think that that is great. We are really fortunate to have that here. It's been, uh, as we record this, um, it, it has been several weeks and then will be even more um, since the uh, horrific uh, weather that struck Western Kentucky and especially the the small uh, towns of Mayfield and Bremen and um, 
several others, just uh, rural Western Kentucky. I, I'm always um, encouraging people to to travel the state of Kentucky. As you said, it's it's all beautiful. It's it is diverse. Uh, the the regions of uh, Eastern Kentucky are so uh, different from Western Kentucky, but Western Kentucky uh, uh, is beautiful in its own right. And um, but as again uh, an observer, uh, as someone who uh, lost some electricity and and uh, some electronic uh, devices uh, for a short period of time, but not their home and not uh, being injured, that sort of thing. I know you you've had thoughts and and uh, feelings about those uh, people. You you told me that you have a a friend in Mayfield that that's uh, uh, resolute and and it is going to to bounce back. But uh, as again uh, a columnist, uh, what what are your thoughts about? It just seems to to a lot of us who haven't seen it except the pictures, and and haven't been down there. That uh, how could a town, a people, a family survive something so absolute horrible? Uh, it's just sometimes unfathomable to think what they've been through and what they're going to have to go through for most likely years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have not uh, taken a trip to Mayfield. The other community that I've been concerned about is Dawson Springs, Kentucky, which is a a small community that is close to my heart. I've done some work there over the years and have talked to to, uh, Ginny Sewell, who is Ginny Bashir Sewell, who is uh, former board of regent here on the Murray State University Board of Regents. And Dawson Springs got hit really hard as well. And both Mayfield and Dawson Springs are not the most prosperous towns. They are towns that had prosperous pasts. Dawson Springs used to be a spa community that uh, the train from Louisville stopped right downtown and there were healing waters there in the turn of the last century. Um, So, you know, the the people who have been hurt by the storm, many of them didn't have a lot of resources to begin with. As I understand it, people are helping each other and FEMA has been in there uh, working with people as well as they can. I've been, uh, the Kentucky Arts Council has asked artists like me around the state to gather information for them about damage to arts organizations that are going to need help. And we had a conference call in December with um, an organization that helps arts organizations recover from things like 9-11 and hurricanes and that sort of thing. We have another conference call tomorrow. Uh, In Mayfield, the Ice House, which was a gallery and uh, home of the Mayfield um, Art Society, uh, was totally damaged and, um, well, not damaged, it was totally ruined, including a lot of the artworks that were in there. In fact, I I wrote a column two weeks ago about uh, a Murray artist who had a piece of work that was in the exhibition when the tornado hit. And she did get her pieces back. They are very damaged, but she is keeping them. They're dear to her heart. So uh, there are different groups that are looking at specific populations and the losses that they've incurred. So I figured that 
it's good for me to focus on the arts since the arts and humanities are the things that I really appreciate and they make my life rich and full. So those are the things. Now in Dawson Springs, the Dawson Springs Museum and Arts Center was not hit at all. And that was why I, that was one of the first calls I made uh, to Dawson Springs was to find out if that museum made it. So um, it's- Well, I appreciate to... uh, your, your thoughts about that. And we will continue to keep all of the, the, the folks um, in our thoughts um, as they recover and uh, continue to, to, um, to grow out of this. I, I uh, said something to you and, and our listeners too about uh, you sharing a, a poem or two from some of your work. Uh, we'll end up the podcast today if you have something there that you'd like to share. I, let's see, I've been doing a lot of work in the past couple of years on end of life issues and caregiving. Uh, and the arts actually have done work with our nursing home um, using the music and memory program, providing music to the people in our nursing home, which uh, of course enlivens everybody, even people who are deep into the recesses of dementia. So um, my most current book of poems is called From Cradle to Grace, and it is about caregiving. And uh, it's a pretty serious book, I guess, but caregiving is serious. So I can, I'll read this, this poem to you. It's called The Silence. Please stop praising my loyalty, gushing over care I'm able to give day after day, week after week. It's my husband, brother, father, sister, aunt, daughter, uncle, friend, lover, even in-laws, God forbid. Of course I'm tired, spent, drained, depleted, numb, limp, tapped out, done in. Some days I want to flee, but what an honor to be of use, to smooth the furrowed brow and tuck the blankets just so, to show I care. When it's over and there are days I wish it were, I'll miss the wasted flesh, swollen veins, scent of gauze, the hums, the beeps, the halting words and feeble whispers, for after that comes the silence. That's Constance Alexander reading uh, from her collection and that poem entitled The Silence. Constance, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to uh, see you and talk with you. And you've been such a supporter of Kentucky Humanities and helped us out on uh, quite a few projects. Um, we will continue to, uh, to stay in touch and uh, hopefully um, uh, you will continue to flourish and write and, um, and, and be our friend uh, in um, all of Kentucky. So thank, thank you very you. much for being with us today. Thank you, it was a pleasure. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.